The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. At Zed, we're all about moving with the times. And now it's time to be part of the climate change solution and move on from fossil fuels. As a company providing fuel to people all over the country, we also know we have a real opportunity to lead that change. We're committed to keeping Aotearoa moving by providing the right energy for everyone. We believe that innovation in fuel and how it's used can make a huge difference to our planet. Find out more at z.co.nz. Coming Home is proudly supported by Kiwi Bank, the bank that's making Kiwi better off. If you have recently returned to Aotearoa and are looking for opportunities in life and business, a new start, or a safe place to re-establish roots, Kiwi Bank is here for you. Find out more at kiwibank.co.nz. Kia ora, I'm Duncan Grieve, founder and managing editor of The Spin-Off. And my name's Jane Yee, I'm podcast manager at The Spin-Off and also a relatively recent returnee from Los Angeles. So this series is about New Zealanders who've come home since the pandemic, reversing the 30-year brain drain with a one-off brain gain. Well, leaving for overseas has been a rite of passage for young New Zealanders for decades, but COVID-19's prompted thousands of migratory Kiwis to return. In the last episode, we were looking at the brain drain. If you haven't heard that episode, by the way, it might be a good idea just to pause this one and go back and have a listen, but do make sure you come back to us here. But spoiler alert, we concluded that although the brain drain is a really popular phrase, it's actually a bit simplistic and migration flows, the way that people have behaved, it's a lot more complicated than that. But we definitely have seen a big disruption to the pattern this year. Yeah, as the pandemic wreaked havoc across the globe and basically the world became incredibly terrifying, perhaps the least terrifying, in fact, quite cosy looking place was New Zealand. And a lot of New Zealanders took up that opportunity to come home. But in the words of hotshot demographer Paul Spoonley, We don't know very much about these returning New Zealanders. And so in this episode, we're looking into it. Not just because it's really interesting, but because it's really important. Welcoming people back into your community, whether they're migrants or returning New Zealanders, is part of what we must do. It's part of what we do to help settle people in the country. And that's not necessarily something that comes naturally to us. I'm not saying that New Zealanders are necessarily adverse to these newcomers. Uh, Some of them are, but it's very often they're indifferent. You know, it's like you're turning up to a party and saying, well, I've been in Los Angeles for nine months. Oh, that's interesting. Um... Who's going to win the rugby? It's an immediate switch off. And and, and I think we need to get smarter around that and realise that these are very valuable people that are helping us collectively, individually. They're helping us. And so taking a little bit of time to welcome them back would actually go a long way to making sure that A, we use their skills and B, they actually feel valued here. We'll be coming back to just how valuable returning New Zealanders are in a later episode, but for now, we're going to follow Paul's suggestion, just take a little bit of time to get to know these returning New Zealanders, say g'day, how are you, what are you up to, how's it been going? But 
Before we get started, Jane, I feel like we should talk about your experience. Obviously, you're a New Zealander who has recently come back. I have. Yep. Should we just play the interview? Yeah. So this is a conversation myself, Jane, and her husband, Joel, had in the studio a few weeks ago. And just to give you a bit of background on Joel, we got him to introduce himself in his own words, which he was very uncomfortable about doing. <laughs> Shall I say the, do that thing again? I reckon, yeah, with a bit more sort of not, not sounding like you're apologising. And also not sounding so like, not sounding like <laughs> trying's lame, Joel. <laughs> Hello, my name is Joel Kafali. I'm a director of music videos for people like Lord, LCD Sound System and Katy Perry, and I've made TV commercials for brands like Apple, Lexus, Target and Steinlager. So why did you leave? It was a few things. Like I'd been trekking back and forth for work for the last five years, in the States and we had visas that allowed us to live and work in America and... That's not true. You had a visa. We had to get married for me to have a visa. We had the ability to live and work in America, had been for a while. The nature of my work means that I was already paying into healthcare there so a lot of the like big costs and hurdles that people have to live in America were already taken care of and there was one and a half to two years left on the visa and kind of thought like what if it doesn't get renewed it would be a shame to have had this opportunity for six years to be able to live and work there and never take advantage of it and so we went it's fair he simplified it Duncan the fact of the matter is Joel's wanted to dip his toe in living in the states and working over there for some time and I have been vehemently opposed just because of the family and in that I would just be there kind of as a Klingon the idea of moving the children to not quite the other side of the world but close enough and then having to be at home and be the one who's kind of organising their lives while Joel does the fancy man stuff with his work wasn't super appealing. But at the same time, I knew that if, if he didn't get out of his system, it might be something that kind of was a tension point between us for a long time. And once we made the decision, I'm making it sound like I did you this big favour. Well, like we really got really excited about it. Joel, how was the work that you did in the US different from what you might have been able to do here? What essentially drew you there in the first place professionally? So I guess in the field that I'm in, like, there's great work that happens here and like some of the best, most like, exciting creative work happens in New Zealand, but there's not as much of it just by nature of us being a small country where there's not as much work that happens and, you know, working in film, design... You know, the kind of centre of that is Los Angeles and I've heard different people describe it for musicians or other directors that, you know, when you come from Australia or New Zealand, just there's inevitably a glass ceiling on what you can do. And just, the you know, there is just limitations to a smaller market. There's some awesome stuff that you can do from yeah. here for the rest of the world, but you inevitably have to travel to be able to do that as well. It's very hard to only be here and be able to have, you know, global success. How was life different for you rather than being a fly-in, fly-out director but actually being on the ground there? I, I think being there it was nice to just feel like a little more centred or grounded as well, like this is where I live, this is where I work, I can finish a shoot and go home and see my family. There's not this sort of weird abstraction of just existing in a hotel room and not really making that many connections with people. Like, you know, that I think like some professional relationships started to become more like friendships as well with people over there, just, you know, out of a need to, I guess, connect with people. 
I mean, for me personally, the decision to go abroad was very much about making life easier and more harmonious for us as a family because it relieved that tension of, you know, Joel wanting to go overseas all the time, um, like to live. But we just wanted to try and see what it'd be like to all be in the same house, you know, at the end of the day when Joel finished work. So I think everyone's motives are different, and we'll return to that interview later in the series. But for now, let's just check back in with some of the others we met in the first episode and about the kinds of experiences they gained when they were overseas. So we met Julia. She was the 27-year-old who was killing it as a lead strategist for HP. We heard her story up to this point. And two weeks later, I left for London. But after a year in the UK, Julia was already starting to think about coming home. I used to say that London is an abundance of luxuries and a starvation of necessities. And that city is therefore at a loss of what a human needs. Like human biology needs things that we have in New Zealand in abundance. And this Samoan DNA of mine and the weather of London were not perhaps a match made in heaven. And it very quickly dawned on me that this wasn't it. Whatever it was for me, So I attempted to resign from HP when I was at the end of a year and a half or so of London and I I needed some sun and some fresh air and some sea and and just green. New Zealand was already on her mind, but HP wasn't ready to give up on her just yet. The organisation actually said no. It kind of went like, I heard you tried to quit. What the f*** is up with that? And so I was like pacing up and down the room. Well, what about San Diego? Oh, I, I mean, I wouldn't be mad at that. And then I moved to America. So Julia didn't feel like she could get a job in New Zealand because she didn't feel like her CV was perfect. Is that right? Yeah. And yet a company, a huge international company like HP, immediately recognised her talent and they're like, you can't go. Like, let's take a second to consider what HP really is. Hewlett Packard are the two founders of Silicon Valley. This is an enormous, giant, multinational tech company. It doesn't just promote you on a whim. It sees something in you. That hunger to do something and make an impact and try my best is what really shone through to the organisation. So I moved out to San Diego and I became the, this is a mouthful, a worldwide product insights manager on the commercial side of the business for displays and accessories and I was sitting at the global level, which was incredible. So that was at age 26, at 26 I think I was, or just turned, 25, who knows. I mean, either way, an incredible position, right? She's in her mid-20s, just in such a high-powered role at this international company. Just blows my mind. In New Zealand, someone like that just wouldn't have had a shot. I mean, they're just there isn't an HP here. There might be like a small branch office, but they basically will just be doing marketing or something like that. Well, I was going to say, if her talent had been recognised, is there even the option to climb to that level here? Absolutely not. I mean, New Zealand actually does have a surprisingly strong tech industry. The likes of Zero, Trade Me, and then a bunch of other sort of smaller but still very fast-growing players. Like, we're, we we punch above our weight for sure. But it is also quite a, a closed-off one. And for someone like Julia, there wasn't exactly a clear path here in New Zealand. None of this is stuff I could have ever set out in a career plan or a goal or, or anything like that. But in the US, there was no stopping her. 
Then the head of social was like, look, Julia, we've got this new piece of software. It's digital intelligence. It's able to use natural language processing to draw insights online. Da, 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 da. Would you be up for a role in this space? Could you help the team grow this initiative and innovation inside HP? And I was like, heck yeah, I'm in it for it. And so then I became the global social strategy lead. And even that as a title, like, it's just like, oh, there's a mad imposter syndrome going on right now. But even though she still had this imposter syndrome, she was able to kind of put it to one side and step into this amazing role. Um, and that was really cool. That was, again, just like an incredible opportunity to take my skill sets and my love of learning about people and just taking it to another level and stretching myself. And I think sometimes going abroad enables you to do that. It enables you to kind of, you know, redefine yourself a little bit and pick up and absorb the attitudes and mentality of the ambitious people around you. It gave me confidence to go, wow, look at all these other different people that are in this space. Look at what's out there. I can be part of that if I just give myself that permission to move forward. So I think that's where, that's where I found that freedom, definitely overseas. That's funny, isn't it? Like having to give yourself permission to do something and it's so hard to do that here in New Zealand and yet in the US, Julia found that she was able to do that and there wasn't just room for someone like her in that world but she was actually able to thrive in that space. It's really interesting having lived over there. I can sound horrible. I mean, I think people have this impression of Americans being like overly arrogant and kind of talking themselves up and that, that is true but while they're doing that they're also talking each other up and encouraging everyone around them to really you know reach their potential so I mean you can see why so many amazing things happen out of the states because their attitude is one of like just lifting yourself up but also lifting up the people around you. It was all very easy for me going to work in Hollywood every day with all these incredible people, like Netflix has the most amazing array of stunning colleagues, with all these really interesting people at the top of their game in this passionate, creative industry. Here's Polly Fryer. We met her in the last episode. You might remember that her and I were kind of in LA at the same time, but I was there just as a Klingon, but she was over there working for Netflix. I can look at contracts for any project that's ever been made at Netflix, all that financial data and things is open to me and the responsibility on me is to use that in the best interest of Netflix. It was honestly really interesting to hear how Polly had been exposed not only to lots of different and incredible people but also to different ways of operating. It has expanded my knowledge and just understanding of the industry and how it operates on different levels that we just don't have here in New Zealand. Mm. So that's been quite amazing. Having recently read the Netflix book, you see how they're almost like cult-like, yeah. you know, the way they go about it. They have this policy, they just hire the best people in the world, they pay them the best in the industry, and they're sort of encouraged to feel like their time at Netflix is necessarily finite, but that while you're there, you should just have this great time. And I'm sure it's not for everyone, but I was reading it going, man, I can see why they've achieved so much in such a short period of time and why so many people really love it because it does seem to be about growing the company but also about growing yourself. And so the idea of Polly coming back to New Zealand with that kind of experience, I'm sure that wherever she goes, she will be a massively different person for her experience at Netflix. So being abroad, you're in this new environment, a whole different culture, and it obviously exposes people to other ways of doing things. 
and other ways of just like being in the world. But it also allows people to push beyond their comfort zones. I don't think there's anyone who has gone and lived abroad that could say, no, I was just comfortable and happy the entire time. You have to kind of move out of your comfort zone if you want to succeed in any way. I remember on day one, the trader sitting opposite me yells out, it's up 1%, what does it mean? I don't, I, I, I don't know. And he goes, are you an idiot? We've hired an idiot. So uh, that, that was my introduction to, to trading. My name's Jared Kerr. I'm an economist at Kiwi Bank. I've been working in financial markets for 16, 17 years. And after sort of 16, 17 years abroad, I uh, managed to find my way home in a role which I'm loving. So he'll be helping us unpack the economic opportunity offered by the returning New Zealanders in the final episode of this series. But for now, I wanted to talk to Jared about his time overseas. He actually came back to New Zealand a couple of years ago, nothing to do with the pandemic, really. What brought us home was being away for so long and making the decision that we wanted our son to go to a New Zealand school, grow up a Kiwi and retire here. And we have been trying to come home since 2013. But what made him leave New Zealand in the first place? I was a a hopeless student. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, I was told to do economics because it was the only thing I was good at at school. Started doing an economics degree, finished that. Again, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So did an honours. Still didn't know. Did a master's. Uh, Still didn't know. So what does someone with a master's do next? Obviously, it's a PhD. And that took him to Australia. The PhD didn't work out, unfortunately. But one of the companies that I was working with towards that PhD had a role available as an economist. And that was it. That was my foot in the door to the industry. It was also the beginnings of his international career. I started working at JP Morgan in 2004. So from there you went to to Singapore, is that right? What did you gain from that? Yeah, so that was a tremendous leap forward for me. I I was poached by a a company called Credit Suisse, a very large international bank, just like JP Morgan, and that experience propelled me to another level that I thought I'd I'd never get to, and uh, that was... That was fascinating times. You get to tap into brilliant minds around the world. Something's happening with Grexit, and you call up the economist based in Greece for Credit Suisse, and you talk through exactly what's going on. Something's going on in the United States. You know, I'd be on the phone call to the US economist straight away and then have it explained to me beautifully. Those contacts all the way around the world are fantastic. Jared reminds me of Julia in a way. And that I think that that experience of travelling and being able to reinvent yourself was really crucial to him too. It's funny, when I wrote the original story that this podcast came out of, a friend of mine, a, a journalist who I am just in awe of, like a really, really talented writer, sort of talked about it as if the act of drawing attention to these New Zealanders was in some way slighting people who stayed behind. And that feels like instructive to me that the celebration of a New Zealander who has gone overseas would be read as criticism of those who have not. And I think that's a concept worth exploring. Because I've got slammed for it too. 
Julia again. I reposted your article where I featured and one of the comments, well, we have talented people here. It's that us versus them mentality. I do think, though, that with those coming home, I mean, I can definitely say for myself, I don't think of, of coming home as downgrading. I'm definitely proud to be home and I'm, I don't have any regrets around leaving America. But I think there has to be a change into being able to celebrate ourselves and celebrating each other. I feel like that New Zealand has a very strange attitude towards aspiration. It's something that I do draw on when I, I'm making comparisons about America, where they're talking about like, oh, are they really cocky and overconfident? And I'm like, sure, maybe if that's how you want to read the situation. But if 80% of the population thinks they're effing awesome, maybe 60% of them are going to try something because they think they're so awesome. 40% of them actually do it. That's a lot better than, than no one ever trying because they're constantly not feeling like they can be awesome. A few years ago when I interviewed your husband, actually, Joel, he, t- he talked about <laughs> New Zealanders. He characterised the way that we look at ambition as trying's lame. And I've always remembered that. I was like, that. you see it all the time once you start looking for it. Like, anyone who's doing something ambitious, the whole country is like, hope he lands on his ass. Why do we have such an issue with ambition? It feels like incredibly out of place now. Yeah, it also feels like it's holding us back. I'd like to see one of the impacts of these Kiwis returning home being a dissemination of that attitude, that kind of confident maybe not cocky, but certainly confident and in charge kind of attitude and, and spreading that all around so we can all kind of get rid of the tall poppy and just be like, yeah, you know what? We're actually pretty good. No, see, not pretty good. Pretty good, that's not good, is it? It's like we're amazing. We've got some way to go, Duncan. We need to start, like, celebrating ourselves. Yeah, it's a major hang-up. I do think we need to go clear. We need to get out the other side of this this cultural straitjacket that we have and be comfortable being really ambitious, not only for ourselves, but for each other. And I think that's what we're going to try and do in the next episode. Yeah, let's take some inspiration from Julia and start talking about being effing awesome. So in the next episode, we'll be looking at how New Zealand has become more and more effing awesome as the rest of the world has gone a bit weird and scary. Coming Home was brought to you by The Spin-Off and Kiwi Bank. It was presented by me, Jane Yee. And me, Duncan Grieve. It was produced, edited and mixed by Claire Crofton. Thanks to RNZ for allowing us to use the archive news audio we've included in this episode. And shout out to Tina Tiller and Josie Adams for recording and helping us with interviews and to Alice Webladall and Sherry Zhang. And to Lucy Raymer, of course, for booking our interviewees. She's an organisational genius. And of course, if you're liking this series, don't forget to subscribe to get the next one and tell all your friends. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Kia ora e te iwi, Te Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. 
If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.